a lot of other places that as they begin to panic and they raise as they uh, as the situation gets worse yeah. you, know? you, you try to get ahead of it so i take the impact i tell them it's okay we'll it'll eat from our blood for a while but until we feel it stabilizes and then we change Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the world of arts, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hesham Montasser. If you're joining us for the first time today, hit the follow button in your podcast player to get alerted when we have new episodes, which is typically every other week. You can listen to our extensive catalog of previous episodes on our website, thelighthouse.ae slash podcast. We feature some amazing guests, by the way, including Fadi Randur, founder of Aramex, Nada Debes, the ladies behind Boksha, and so many others. So please go have a look. I think you'll enjoy it. Now, let's move to today. This is very exciting. I'm joined today by Ayman Becky, someone who can be described as the person responsible in really changing the fine dining culture in Egypt. His restaurants, Kazuko, a contemporary Japanese experience, Sachi, a Mediterranean fusion, and the Cairo chapter of my son's personal favorite, Reef Koshiaki, are all in the top 50 restaurants of the region, according to the latest list by Mena's 50 Best. In fact, Ayman won four different awards in Mena's 50 Best. I'll be very honest, I don't find that all that surprising. Ayman's success comes from a keen eye, a strong understanding of restaurant operations, as hard as that is, and the grit that kept him going over and over again until his name became synonymous with the Egyptian restaurant scene. I also found Ayman honest about his origins, how he started, the mistakes he made, and why he kept getting up. Ayman, what a pleasure to have you here. Um, uh, it's, it's, the pleasure is mine. <laughs> <laughs> I never expected to come here, to be honest. <laughs> Me neither. I'm glad you're here. I, I haven't seen you in quite some time, so we did a bit of catching up. Yeah, we did. Uh, which is nice. By the I way, am... the coffee in Lighthouse was fantastic. Eh? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to start by saying I'm very proud of you. haven't seen you for a while, but very proud of what you've done. Thank you. And really, uh, and I'm not just saying that, and I usually don't start like that, but I wanted to say that on the record because whenever I go back, and I go back quite often, and you've opened a new restaurant, that's where all my friends want to take me. And that's a, and and also similarly, some of my non-Egyptian friends when they go to Egypt, that's also where everyone wants to take them. So it's a testament to what you've built. And I know that it's a lot of it has been a lot of um, hard work, obviously, but also an organic evolution over time. And I was doing some research before we we, we before we had our podcast today, and it feels very organic, and it feels very you, which is nice. Um, so let me just start because back back in the day when you were growing up, you were always interested in nightlife, and that was obviously where you started. And then you shifted and you started moving into restaurants. So just walk us a bit through: was that a conscious choice or just again an organic evolution over time? And I, after I graduated from uh, AUC in 1996, back then the trend was you need to work in a multinational company. So I. I tried to get into Pepsi back then. Can click? It was click. Mobinil, uh, Coca Cola. Well, I I was unlucky. I didn't get the job, and then I got a job in Oroscom to work in Guna, based in Cairo, but as a marketing executive for Guna. 
uh, worked with them for four or five years uh, and then moved to Sony Music International. And I just had this feeling and I don't want to be an employee. I, you know, I just don't you didn't want like to. the corporate world. At all. I, I had to hold on because this was my only source of income. I used to uh, live in Kuwait and I came after the war to Egypt. So it was kind of a struggle for me to start in Egypt and to uh, build a network. Build a network, yeah. While I was in university, I was doing small events on the side to make some cash. And my first event, I had 400 people. My second event, I had a thousand. And then I started going into the underground events, getting DJs from abroad and stuff, and four or 5,000 people by coming to the event. And this is where I be the people began to know me. Yeah, in the I events. remember that. Yeah. You made a name for yourself. Yes. So, and, and from there, after four or five years of doing these events, I said, it's about time to take it to the next level. So I want to do my own place. But I want to do a bar. I don't want to do a restaurant, a resto bar. So I did my first place that I opened was in 2002. It's called White. And it, it didn't work out very well. It closed down after a year. And then I went into partnership in Aubergine in Zemelik. Stayed there for five years. It's a staple. Aubergine was a very old, yeah. scruffy, wooden, trashy bar. I know it very well. Yeah. yeah. So I told them if I come in, I'll take, let's say, 25%. I'll do the investment as part of my uh, spending. But we'll change the concept into a more of a bistro style. And we redesigned the place. And if they were doing 10, we're doing 30. Until I got to know my partners in Tamarai. And I wanted to move into fine dining. Yeah. Unfortunately, they, we took off on the wrong leg. Food wasn't that great. Service wasn't that great. The place we had already invested back then in 2009, 15 million Egyptian pounds in Tamarai and in Alta Hours. And we had to make it work. So it began to shift from a restaurant into nightlife. nightlife. I remember that, yeah. And to be honest, we were making very good money. And we were up there. Uh, everyone wants to come and standing on the door, choosing people who to come and who not, exclusive events, New Year's, blah, 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 DJs. Uh, and going home at four or five o'clock in the morning every day, it's just, it was very hectic. Awesome. Until I got hit with the revolution in 2011. And I saw on CNN actually the Nile Towers being destroyed. Yeah. I took a pause in 2011 after all this and I said, this nightlife business is not sustainable. One is not sustainable. I had just had my uh, daughter and son. And I don't want the kids to grow up knowing that their father is a club owner. Interesting. From a moralistic perspective or from a lifestyle perspective? or So what was, because I understand the concern, but I'm just curious. During uh, the revolution, I reflected very much on my past. And something inside of me was fighting the fact that I'm in the wrong business. So I began to sit down with mentors, priests, uh, go to church, ask what am I doing is correct or not yet. 
But the answer that I got was, no one gave me a straightforward answer. At the end of the day- Your life ultimately. Yeah, so you're not doing anything wrong. The behavior of the people inside the place is their problem, it's not yours. But yet again, the platform is there to yeah. make them go wild and have a good time in. I began to read, 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 uh, and then I decided I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, plus, it's not sustainable, and I have to keep getting food on the table for the kids yeah. and living properly. In. But I don't have an idea, so I just let it go, sink in for a while, for two years, and I began to monitor the behavior of the people in the streets, because during that time, in 2011 and 12 and 13, it was turmoil in Egypt. But the amount of coffee shops that were opening on every single corner was humongous. And they're all full. But it alarmed me, which means you know, people really want to go out. Yeah, but they want to sit and have shisha or eat. Oh. This is something else, yeah. And the security uh, of, the, of the country changed the behavior also of people commuting from neighborhood to neighborhood. So if you recall, we used to go out in Zamalek and Mohandasin. Yeah. So the people in Maadi, currently after the revolution, go out only in Maadi. Heliopolis and Heliopolis, Heliopolis Zamalek and Zamalek. Heliopolis and Heliopolis never had a proper place, ever. I remember that. And post-revolution, even the places and other places that were working had been vanished or destroyed or whatever. So there's very, very little. I mean, I remember coming back post-revolution and seeing so few varieties outside of traditional coffee shops. Nothing. Nothing. So I said, uh, okay, I had done a, a few uh, mistakes in, uh, in the first two years. I panicked uh, while I was reflecting on my past. I, I had a little bit of cash. I wanted to... I was very scared when the Muslim Brotherhood were uh, on uh, taking the lead. So I did a small investment here in Dubai, got ripped off, did a small investment in Athens, also didn't work out. So basically I lost the money I did in the nightlife business. It also alarmed me that- You panicked. <laughs> I said, I'll start doing a rest. I'll look, I'll look and, you know, I took a loan. My dad was in Saudi, he, uh, he, he's, uh, he's a doctor in Saudi Arabia. He had just come out of cancer. I told him, Khalas, I think you need to Rest. come back enough. So yeah, I told him, come back and we'll do the company together. So he came back, so I did back hospitality and I started looking for a place in Korba. And I said, I'm gonna work on the, doing a nice concept for the Heliopolis people. I am pretty well connected in Heliopolis. You grew up in Heliopolis. I grew up in Heliopolis. Yeah, yeah. And I live well, in Heliopolis. No one would ever dare do that there if you hadn't grown up there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to know so, the, the location, yes, the, the yes. people. So I uh, logged on to LinkedIn and I began to look for chefs. I met uh, Tommy and I sent him a message and uh, he replied and he came to Egypt. Gave him an overview of what I want to do. I know the Egyptians like meat and they like sushi. So I said, I'm going to do a Mediterranean fusion concept. Back then we were 30 employees nearly only. And just to put this in perspective, and today you are? 600. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. So we worked on the food concept and the beverage concept. And we designed the place with alchemy. 
also yeah. a very reputable uh, interior designer. Yeah, interior designer. And I said, خلاص, let's go for it. It's a small place, 80 seats, no outdoor area, under a residential building. Rent was okay. Mm, I had to pay my loans. And it worked. It worked. You had already at that point opened a couple of concepts. And I, I'm kind of impressed by how, you know, very openly say, you know, this didn't work. And obviously today, I think you can afford to say this, <laughs> which is great. But surely you still went back to do more. Obviously, you refined concept at that point. You refined your ideas. What had you learned from the previous mistakes? What was things you didn't want to do this time around beyond not being in nightlife? Uh, because it still had alcohol and still had a bar and all of that. So what do you feel held you back the first few times when you were younger that work this time yeah well, definitely i had to, had to set a pace and mood for the place mm. to keep the people sitting down eating music level low yeah. enjoying their meal focusing on the service focusing on the product and not focusing on the entertainment for any time the music goes up a little bit i put it down and i don't want to turn the place into a party place yeah uh, and this is my struggle till today. I was going to say, uh, how do you do that with it? Because people... I want that. But yeah. there's a lot of pressure from the customers that we want, we want, we want, we want. And and this is, to frankly, from my own experience, a testament also to an interior and a mood you set, which is very inviting. So I think people exactly. get excited. They get excited. And therefore, they want to get in the mood of, you know, partying, celebrating out and about the Egyptians, of course, we're all very social anyway to start with. Exactly. But can you fight against that trend or just say, you know what, what the customer wants, the customer gets and... No, I no, fight. You do. Still. I fight. I fight. That's so interesting. And, and my whole team fights. Interesting. So there's no pressure from the team at all. And the only pressure we get are from our customers and the landlords. Okay. Some landlords are okay with, with the idea of not no loud music and other landlords want... They attraction. Yeah. yeah they uh, the opening of Sachi in 2014 shocked me because I found people coming from different neighborhoods and the place was fully booked for months. Months and probably uh, the first year and a half. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember. And I was like, what the hell is happening? You know, it, I, I, it was, uh, I was shocked there. And I found people coming from Zamalek, Mohandesin, Maadi, New Cairo, 6th of October, you Garden City. behavior. In the history of Egypt, never yeah, ever yeah, I was had anyone going out in Heliopolis. You became a destination restaurant, which in Dubai is quite common for really well-known restaurants. Unheard of in Egypt, in Cairo. No, unheard of. And I'm I, growing up there all my life. We there was no such thing as destination. Yeah, now there was in Zamalek, if you remember. There was Sangria. There True. was. Uh, I mean, because I lived in Zamalek, so it, it wasn't destination for me. But you're right. People came to a few, but very, very few. And also the, the choices were very limited anyway. And uh, the idea is not this. And uh, the idea is Heliopolis attracting people. That's it was true. any concept that opened in Heliopolis always failed. And I was worried, uh, to be honest, but I had no other option. People wanted to go out in Heliopolis. I'm going to focus on the Heliopolis people. This is where. And the Heliopolis people made the place where work until the reputation of the place began to grow and people began to come and see the experience. And I don't know if this was part of your calculation, but if you look at the demographics of Cairo, it's also very smart because 
Iliopolis always had a level of wealth and it was completely underserved. Yeah, but, but we were, Heliopolis people always looked down for Nomo Nuvurishia. But for uh, you, from a restaurant perspective, you don't care. Uh, la, you, it's yeah. not true, man. This concept yeah, is, is yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. there in, in your head. Yeah. yeah it's sort of, and I just wanted to open one restaurant. I told my dad, we're just going to open one restaurant. We're going to make it work. We're going to put food on the table for you and mom and, and me and the kids and, uh, and Tina. And that's it, mm. you know, and just sustain it. Well, I, I don't want to grow. I don't want to do anything. Unfortunately, but this is where the devil comes in. But And when you do something right in Egypt, everybody comes to you. Everybody comes yeah. to you. I've been rejecting, 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 rejecting. Right. I met Muhammad Alem, who's the Hassan Alem uh, properties. Developers. And the developers and in Swan Lake. I knew during that time that there is a shift from Heliopolis to New Cairo area. A lot of people are moving out. And I know my client, actually, were going to be there. So he came and told me, I have this clubhouse and I want to do a clubhouse. So Tula, I'm not going to do a clubhouse. You know, the Atomi Heights clubhouse and serve uh, uh, pizzas yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and club, club sandwich. sandwich. Club yeah. sandwiches and stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to do that yet. Yeah. If you want, we'll do something crazy. And what do you want to do? Today I just came back from Mykonos. There's a beautiful restaurant in a hotel called Nobo in the Belvedere. If you have a chance to take your wife and go and have a good time, see the setup, we'll do something like that. But Egyptianized. And then apparently he went and he came back after summer. I mean, what do you mean? We're going to do a Japanese. And he would do a Japanese. There's no clubhouse, no pool, no nothing, no kids running around, nothing. Yes, I'm in. And then we started working on the financials. This is where I, I was the, probably the first person in the uh, FMB industry to do the um, Capex uh, funding. Yeah, 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 I remember that. And unfortunately, I learned from my first deal with Hassan Alem and uh, <laughs> refined the model. Since. I refined the model because he said, Ali, I, I will, you, you guys do the kitchen. I'll do the interior. So the kitchen's and, the most expensive part. Ah, for, for us, fine <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we all learned. Uh, yeah. I learned from that. For now, I've remodeled our contracts and I moved forward. And when I did this Kazuko and Kazuko is like 180 seats. Indoor, outdoor. Now we did an extension, so it's 300 seats now. Uh, and I told the guys when we first hired the, the the staff, I told them, I don't want you to lose hope. This is the future. Maybe we came too early in the first settlement in New Cairo. But hold your horses. You didn't have to hold any horses. Ma, that's the thing. You, know, you thought you were holding the horses. Uh, there was nothing to hold. We opened first of yeah, December. I remember. Fully booked, fully booked, yeah. fully booked, fully booked, yeah. fully booked. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. People are coming all over the place, you know? Sachi is fully booked, Kazuku is fully booked. What's happening? Yeah. You changed, I think, the whole perception of how people were dining uh, in, in Egypt, honestly. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying this in any way to just to... It's true. Um, and I don't know if you were aware of it while you were doing it or you were just sort of trying to do something that is a winning concept. No, no, I wasn't I wasn't aware of it. But I mean, even the food made a lot of sense because Japanese food and so on, you know, it's 
it's the right kind of atmosphere and food to go. It's not a heavy meal, no, a hearty not, meal that no, kind of weighs it, you down. That's it. It's a sharing concept. Sharing kind concept, of social. Social, nice. The location is a big. Parking is available. Beautiful greenery area, yeah. outdoors. So it was an organized way of thinking about restaurants. It wasn't. It was, a, I, I, I think personally, I think it was very risky. Yeah, oh, of course it was very risky. And uh, we're, we're seeing this today. Yeah. In yeah. Hindsight. Uh, and... <laughs> It was funny. It was and funny. You, and we were reflecting earlier when we were sitting at the lighthouse and you were saying, you know, I, when you first opened here, I mean, and now, I mean, I talk about this all the time. I think I was a lunatic. You know what I mean? Like there was not, Dubai Design District, completely new district, no one here. It was empty when I completely came. Completely yeah. empty. In, ret in retrospect, total lunacy. Uh, but I think that's part of the business. We'll hear more from Ayman, including how he's exploring a new category within hospitality. All that and more right after the short break. Welcome back. I'm Hashem Montasser, and you're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with our guest, Ayman Becky. I want to just uh, talk about a few things. One is what struck me when I came to some of your establishments was not just how welcoming they were. It was clearly that the operational part, and maybe this is somebody that's now also in the same similar business, same business. So I look at this kind of stuff. Your team looked very well organized, very professional, and it was obvious that this is an operation that's very tight. That's a huge challenge for someone in a, in, a, in in this business. I know, for us, the biggest challenge is operational. How did you? Was that a conscious decision to build a grassroots operational? process and, and supply chain and all of that, the way you have, because that's something you've built that looks to me like building blocks for growth, not for a one-off or two-off. Was that conscious or again, just you're an organized person and, and you did it the right way and it just grew? Let me tell you something, because um, in most of the restaurants and nightlife and bars and stuff that I did, I had partners with me. I was handling the operation. Ah, so you're always operations guy. I was the operation guy. And... When I began back in hospitality, a lot of my um, staff came with me and they've been with me for years. And I have uh, the bar manager has been with me for 20 years now. It's amazing. You know, he speaks like me. Yeah. He dresses like me. <laughs> I didn't know this. A lot of them did look like you. They're tattooed and, they're, and they walk like you exactly. and then, like they're mini Aymans. And to be honest, I had to start thinking when, when we opened our third and fourth and fifth, I began to hire very good people as well in the HQ office. It's the only way to sustain your operation. And I wanted these guys to feel very proud that they're working in this company. So I had to give them a, um, a different setting in terms of office, in terms of packages, in terms of bonuses, in terms of medical insurance, in terms of way of living. Um, yeah, How many people at HQ admin operate ops versus on the field or percentage wise? I'm just trying to get a sense. Um, we have around less than 70 people in the office. Okay, so it's not a, it's a big office. Uh, all different departments, Taban, of course, the supply chain to finance, to HR, to marketing, to logistics, to quality control. We have seven doctors moving around. The Each doctor is moving around, uh, making sure the quality is okay. Um, we have also a in um, in the industrial area. We have a central kitchen where we do our butchery over there. Smart, yeah. 
Um, that's it. So this is the key. So now I put my finger on it. You're an ops guy that looks like this. So, <laughs> so you, I'm sorry. You're able to, to marry the two. You're strong at the ideation concept development, but obviously you have a very strong operational sense. Even the way you speak about the operations, someone in control. And I think that's essentially what F&B really is. This, if you have this. Yeah. yeah. Because, One, yeah. you need to have loyal, loyal uh, staff, ah. members. Yeah. I treat my staff as family, Kevin, yeah. and we're very proud of that because the turnover, Andy, very, very little, by the way, and the turnover in this business is very high. Super high. Yeah. Even turnover at the staff level in the restaurants is low? 5%. That's amazing. Whoever comes in doesn't go out. Wow. And this is something I'm going to face 10 years from now is going to be a problem because they're going to start getting older. And you move them to HQ. <sighs> and then... Well, you have to start a new country then. I mean, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Basically, I, uh, going back to the expansion, I had no uh, plan to expand. But unfortunately, I had to start thinking of expansion because the tree is blocked and people want to grow. And if they don't grow, they're going to leave. So I had to keep an opening when I get an opportunity that I'm convinced with, opening more restaurants to open up more spaces for people to grow within the HQ and within the operation of the uh, restaurants. Because if I don't, the, I have to show them the roadmap. So you're thinking of 600 people, how they're going to grow yearly. Yeah, and commercially, it makes sense. Economies of scale. I mean, yeah. but sometimes you sit there and you say, I, I, you know what? I'm very happy. Yeah. I don't want to move. <laughs> I, know the very, yeah. I know the feeling. Yeah, yeah. I'm very content. Yeah. I do not want another opening. I yeah. don't need, yeah. but I have to. But I feel like now you own the idea that this is no longer will be a small shop with just a couple of restaurants. You're building it now as if it's a proper organization that's going to grow. Maybe you can control the pace, maybe one year more, one year less. Yeah. Yes. But so that is, I think, khalas. that's now been khalas. in your head solidified. Yeah. Especially after we got, uh, we got uh, international recognition and awards, puts more um, responsibility on our shoulder. To be the go-tos in Egypt. Yeah, to perform better, to, to grow properly. Another plan. part that when I was doing my research that looked very organic to me was sort of the lifestyle element to it. A lot of people use the word lifestyle. Sort of annoys me because a lot of people use it and I find they abuse it a little bit. You know, they want to use the word lifestyle. But when I looked at your brands and I've, I've been to some of the restaurants, but even at you as a person, I feel it's very organic. Once again, Yanni, it seems to come very natural to your playlists, your music, your, you know, maybe eventually going to. So are you leaning more? I, I saw you put something about potentially boutique hotels. And so are you looking to kind of now take this brand and maybe move into various verticals, sort of more like a saw house? Or will you always just want to stay in F&B pure restaurants and restaurants. Let me tell you, no, I'm not going to do a social house or anything, no. But uh, again, uh, we've been doing the same thing for the past eight years, opening up restaurants, opening up restaurants. Like I said, I want to move to the next level. I want something more challenging. I want something new. I want to learn something new. You know, of course. We're, still, we're still young. We still have the energy. Like I said, uh, we were going into the catering, but we put everything on hold given the financial crunch that we're going through. And we just signed with Hassan Alam also uh, in Swan Lake uh, in uh, Sheikh Zayed. Uh, they're doing a compound called Swan Lake West, and he wanted to open Kazuku there. I told him, I'm not doing any more restaurants. If we want to do something, we do a, a concept, a hotel, 80 rooms, 
that is FMB driven. Fantastic. And we have three places in there that are hot. Minhum Kazuko, we can put Kazuko yeah. there. So this drives traffic on a crystal lagoon, 80 rooms with a small jacuzzi and a private pool for the 80 rooms. But you will be involved in the room in the hospitality part as well, not just the F&B part. No, the whole the whole, the whole operation, project, yeah. the whole okay. operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, this is this is something that we're really looking into. And and to be honest, now given the the devaluation of the dollar of the Egyptian pound and the, the financial crisis now and everything, it's beginning to um, tickle me to to move out of Egypt uh, to open something outside of Egypt. Yeah, where, how, when? I don't know. It will come. Opportunities come well, and go. You said it here first, so whoever listens to yeah, this can yeah, call you. And yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I have no plans for it, but you know, I just wait for opportunities here. Yeah. So when you're dreaming today, what is that? Is it about boutique hotels? Is it about going outside of Egypt? Is it a combination? What, what gets you excited when you're just sort of thinking freely? To be honest, the only thing that currently is getting us all excited in the company is the hotel. Yeah. Yeah, so we're in the planning phase currently, and we're coming up with ideas, uh, traveling and seeing new hotels. And what's the vibe you're looking, you're after? Very similar. I don't want to, when I walked into 25 hours. You felt that was your I felt earlier. not the decoration. Okay. The, I'm talking the about vibe. the vibe. Mm. Decoration is going to be different. Co-working space, Shwaya, that kind yeah, of feel, young music, people, energetic. art, culture. Uh, working space, uh, F&B, uh, butlers, uh, hospitality, um, technology. So maybe a bit, of the, a bit of the feel that you see when you go into places like Soul House. More or less. Yeah, more or less. Okay, and it has that kind yes, of yes, more or less. energy. Yeah. Given what you've just alluded to, what's happening in Egypt now, I mean... What are the challenges? I would imagine on the supply chain side, the challenging being draconian, huge. We have a few challenges, of course, but these challenges have been there for the past uh, nearly a year and a half now. And to be honest, we do not import on our license. We deal with suppliers who import. These suppliers, there are a few companies that closed down. Yeah, struggling. Uh, and there's no importation, so there's no raw material. What we said, we have to start improvising, you know, uh, improvising with local product. And fish, the, the fish and meat, we don't have an issue with, but I'm talking about the dry products, alcohol, big, big issues. Um, so we're improvising on our dishes using local ingredients. So you don't see the major change in taste. Okay. Things that we can't get, we take off the menu. Take off the menu. Halas, it's over. Uh, price increase also is uh, is a big uh, challenge for us. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How, yeah. how do you, because you can't pass on 100% price increase. No, no, no. no. Yeah. In 2022, we did uh, twice, we, we raised the prices. A lot of other places did as they begin to panic and they raise as they... Uh, as the situation gets worse, yeah. you, know? you you try to get ahead of it. So I take the impact. I tell them it's okay. We'll it'll eat from our blood for a while, but until we feel it stabilizes, and then we change. So, uh, and what drives me going back to your question is uh, seeing my staff grow and uh, giving them positions, giving them responsibilities. Eventually, my dream is that the whole um, 
company and establishments can work without my presence. And if that happens, that's an accomplishment. You know? It's not an easy thing because I feel like a lot of it is modeled after your persona. Correct. And that's why I'm telling you the people in the HQ, they have, some of them have been with me for 14 years. Some of them have been with me for seven and five and three. They're responsible, to be honest. You know what struck me when I went to some of your restaurants? It struck me that you could, there even might be like a B2B opportunity as almost like a a finishing school you know you go to all these restaurants and hotels in egypt and really they're just not trained and your staff was so significantly different that maybe there's an opportunity to you know literally kind of build that for others because it they're not able to do it and this is a problem that you have not just in egypt you have a lot of places we face it here as well i mean training and development is a science and people think oh you know i'm gonna get a waiter and he's uh, uh, he or she is good looking and good with guests and friendly. Yes, that's great, but that's not enough. That's not enough. And you clearly have put a lot of effort in training and development. So walk me through that effort. Is that led by you? Do you have a team that looks into it, that goes from location to location, spotting the teams, spotting the issues, or is it the managers that are empowered to do that? How, how do you do it? Like I said, um, I was on top of things and when I first started and, uh, and as we began to grow, one of the managers, um, he, I promoted him to food and beverage uh, manager and then he, now he's the general manager. Also AUC in uh, young at heart, uh, half French, half Egyptian, I have uh, the marketing team, the F&B team, the F&B, I have them split. I have the food and I have the beverage. So I have a culinary manager and I have a beverage director. So I, I don't have, and then the operation department, I have three people in the operation department who lead the managers in the restaurants. And do they just do periodic training or how does it work? Our training is done through HR. Okay. Okay. And in our new office that we just moved in, in Korba, we have a classroom. So we do all our trainings in the classroom over there. Uh, most of the trainings are easily done because the, I, like I said, when a, a new place opens, we take the best players, yeah. put them here. Put them you see so, yeah, so I begin to seed here, here, here. And then so suddenly everyone's talking the same. You know? <laughs> everyone's all talking like you. Uh, everyone's working the same. <laughs> everyone's doing exactly the same. Plus, they all have to revert to HQ with the finance, with the supply chain, with the procurement, with the uh, quality control, F&B. Uh, they can't, they're, we're always hands-on. We don't leave the restaurants. Every day we go out, every day. It's very tiring. What is your typical day? Are you out in the field all day? And I mean, you also have a big night operation. So how do you manage that? And then you talked earlier about how kind of when you had children, you know, give, me a bit, give you a bit of food for thought. I mean, how do you manage that? I try as much as possible to, uh, first of all, I don't go out anywhere in Egypt, but in the re in my restaurants, okay. and, which is, uh, which is not good yet, because I need to go see what's happening at, yeah, but uh, I mean, you know, um, office in the morning from around 11 to five home from five to seven and then go. restaurant hopping, but what five days a week. Wow. Yeah. Sunday, Monday are the slow, slow. nights. So it takes, take them, but it doesn't take a toll on you mentally. It does, of course. But but you're energized. I'm energized. Seeing people enjoying their time in the restaurant is ecstasy. Yeah. So you feed off that. Obviously. Yeah. That's, that's very obvious. It's beautiful. I have one, one last question about your operations. It's just so fascinating. Technology, obviously, now is a big part of that. We see it, you know, from 
ordering to you know scanning to pay to how have you factored that into your business and your operations or is that something you think about not yet to be honest okay. we're just uh, still doing the basic here because we feel like here we're seeing more and more of this you know we all our restaurants now you can scan to pay and in a few weeks we're gonna have full ordering from your phone so you can order everything if you want I mean, there's still waiters there they're walking you through the menu they're telling you the specials all of that but if you want to come in every day and you know exactly what you're having for lunch you can order on your phone you can pay on your phone you can leave a tip on your phone you can even split the bill on your phone i know this is where the um, the future is going yeah but again the sense of the experience of sitting down you have to be careful uh, yeah uh, and uh, ha having the menu and going through the menu and reading and having the waiter explain the dishes no that's part of the fun so, you know especially in the more fine dining especially yeah. in the fine dining you know uh, i wouldn't do that yeah in, in my in my restaurants unless there's something casual and with reef maybe we can think of something like that the one in waterway yeah i think with reef it would i don't know if he has it here but it would make sense um how was reef received i know you've worked with him on some of your own restaurants as well but yeah yeah when you put his brand in yeah, Cairo, yeah, yeah. because people don't know know him or the brand as much they don't egyptians that live in the ue maybe they Surely don't they don't but when we signed the uh, a culinary advisor uh, contract for three years he was there yeah um the people who understand food understand Love him it. and respect him very much uh, the the reef concept in Egypt is still growing on the Econ, you know, because it's very new to them, you know, and um, and we're seeing it orga also organically growing on its own. We're focusing on our service, our food, our hospitality, and it will come. Yeah, no, it will definitely come. It will come. It will have its time. It was actually quite funny. Uh, my, it's one of my son's favorite restaurants here in Dubai. So whenever he has an uh, occasion, he asks to go there and I take him there. And if he's a friend, obviously. So one night we went there and I was taking pictures of the dessert. I think it was a chocolate lava cake. And my, my nephew, who lives in Cairo, was at Reef Cairo, complete by chance. We took the same picture of the same dessert. Are you serious? And on the family group, I'm sending, because we always exchange food pictures. I'm sending our pictures. Hussein is sending his pictures. And they're both <laughs> the same. And they were the same. And it was one of these... Checkmate, like, checkmate. Exactly, checkmate mm, moments. Mm. And literally the same night. So I actually shared the story with him. And it tells you something about, you know, good food. Yeah. It travels well. And, and it was interesting. You can have... We both had a delightful experience in two completely different cities. Yeah, yeah. La, la, Reef is doing well. Reef is doing well. And uh, la, Egypt, listen, a few potential. Uh, huge. Uh, huge. Huge, huge, huge. Listen, come on, we're talking about the new uh, the new capital. And once it's complete, uh, there's a huge investments happening there. Yeah. And I know you've looked at some pop-ups in uh, the North Coast and so on. Do you see more of that as you venture into you know, maybe seasonal cities. Yes. Are you comfortable with the pop-up concept in general? Is it, Or is it a lot of work for... It is a lot of work. Because but, for a shorter season, yeah. But I don't like to stretch our um, our muscle too much. And when we open, we like to focus... The full company focuses on this place. I see. Um, what we have now, which is the trend, that many people are opening five, six places in Sahel. But opening five, six places in uh, the North Coast, even even if they're three or four, it's 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 a lot of work. I don't know how they do it yet. 
Ayman, thank you. This has been a delight. No, Mabruk. really. Very proud of you. No, thank you. And I'm very happy to be here, to be honest, and share my uh, my my history and my experience. Again, uh, I'm very thankful from from God that uh, uh, I've reached the stage. A lot of people know your name, and a lot of not just Egyptians that live here. But I'm not sure how many know the story. So I feel like this is, and that's why I wanted to do this, to be honest. I really feel they, they need to know this full story because it's never just glory, right? And, no, and, and people look at social media and they look at websites and they kind of think that people are just going to plant it and they're successful overnight. And yeah. most certainly not an F&B, but in most businesses, there's always a story. There is always a story. There's always a hidden story. And, the, and there's always a reason and a purpose why we were put in... In, uh, in this job that we're doing. If, if there's someone that's starting his own F&B business today, like you many years ago, what would be the one trait you feel they need to have? What's the one trait that if, if somebody would come to you, let's say, and tell you back right, me um, for a new concept, what would be the one trait you'd look for in this, in this person? I'll tell you mine. <laughs> Passion. Yeah. And wisdom. Interesting. And honesty. Okay. Yeah, I think honesty, let's assume that's a given. The wisdom part, but like if you're 25, I mean, is it reasonable to assume wisdom? Yes. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So you mean like even, even, even keeled person, like Yani, somebody who is like balanced? Very important. Okay. What about grit? Because you have a lot of grit. I do you think? I think so, for sure. Even when you're telling the story, you're telling the story now, I was sort of thinking about it because you were saying such matter-of-factly that you started this place and then didn't work out, but then I started this place and didn't work out. Then I started this third place, it worked out, but not quite as I wanted. And then finally I started this. And as you were saying this, I was thinking, damn, he was still going? Like I would have at like Tamarai level been like, screw it, khalas, I'll go back to Pepsi. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely grit. <laughs> I don't know if you see it, but I definitely see it. Definitely great. La you know why? Because when you have, when you love something, you just keep going. Yeah, you have. You know? I think this entrepreneurial optimism, which I think you're right, is yeah. necessary, or else you would never survive in this business. But I think also great. Also, given, yeah, bear in mind when you're going through a financial crunch, yeah, you have to take decisions. Quickly. You have to take risks. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but you know, you're, you're. I think the risks you have today are very different than then. I mean, completely different. Yeah, but so Naharda, you're. I, I'm sure, and I can see that obviously having 600 people, that is your responsibility. That weighs on you. You feel responsible for them. I completely understand that feeling. This is weight on it's my both. on, on my Akit. heart. Weight on my Akit. heart. But it says it shows that you're a responsible entrepreneur. Uh, but it's a different weight, even though it's, I'm not belittling it in any way, maybe even more so, but then I could go bust, Yanni. There, or, you know, I might not survive till the winter. Uh, during uh, COVID, four months, we closed down. Oh, yeah. Many restaurants closed down. We closed for six. You closed for six months. Six months. Yeah, it was lot. the most nerve-wracking. I'd wake up in the morning, and, and there was a moment, that's for a different story, but when we actually were going to give back the keys, and I told my partner, Hani, that you met, we agreed. We told our shareholders. And then I woke up the next day and I could barely get out of bed. And I felt such, and I called them up first thing in the morning, six in the morning. I said, did you sleep well? No, no. So what do we think? But we were literally, khalas, we were almost going to do it. And we couldn't do it. And I'm glad we didn't. And then we, we were able to get through it. But it was a very heavy period, I think, for all of us. All of us, especially when you have uh, all these employees yeah. and you have yeah. to be paying huge amounts of money um, and there's uh, there's no operation. And, and they're not employees. I mean, I used to be in banking. It's not like 
oops, I'm going to fire, no, nothing, not that that's good, but I'm going to fire the investment banker. I mean, these guys are living well. You know, you, these are people that are get, taking money to literally survive, giving to their family. So you feel a different kind of responsibility. Exactly. And on the contrary, but you have also in our business, people who get paid very little as well. 100%. Fa, la, we stood there, we said, it's okay, screw the company, excuse my language. Uh, we're going to fight this. We're going to pass this. It's great. Yeah. It's a great story. Very inspiring. Best of luck. Can't wait till we come visit your hotel soon. Yeah. yeah I want you to come see uh, Sachi Almaza. I'm going to come to Sachi Almaza for sure. This uh, this summer. This summer, Akid. And as I go into different, I'm like you, a big fan of boutique hotels. I'll take pictures and share them with you. Ah, please do. So we'll have a little chat on the side. Ah, please do. Please do. Chat. Ah, please do. I'd love that. Ayman, thank you again. Thank you, Hashim. Congrats it was amazing. On your success. And, and it was uh, Mabruk and also the Allah Lighthouse and the expansion you. that you did. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank it's you amazing. Thank you for joining us on the Lighthouse Conversations with me, Hasha Muntasser. We're produced by Chirag Desai, and our content director is Farah Sharif. If you've enjoyed this episode, you'll probably like my conversation with Samir Hamada, a friend and Dubai-based entrepreneur who has also had a similar career path from nightlife to massive restaurant scale, but an entirely different personality. You can connect with us on Instagram at the lighthouse underscore podcasts and listen to our previous episodes by visiting thelighthouse.ae slash podcasts. We'll see you again in two weeks.